0: Welcome back to Scars in Lemonade. I am Patrick.
1: And I am Abby. And we are coming to you from the middle of the polar vortex. (laughs) It is so cold.
0: (laughs) Oh, yeah. Hitting a deep freeze right now here. So that's perfect. Minus. Thirty-one degrees yes. Celsius,
1: minus forty-two with the wind chill. And if you <laughs> don't know what the wind chill is, uh, congratulations—you made some good life choices about where you located. Because if <laughs> you don't know what a wind chill is, I envy you right now.
0: That's the crazy part about all of this—is that it's just roll of the dice. This is where you live. This is what you deal with. And I mean, I guess you got brave at one point and you—you you moved away. But having to just deal with. These temperatures, where there's other people that have no idea exactly how cold (laughs) that actually is, seems absolutely ridiculous to me.
1: Well, that's the thing. I like how you say, like, roll of the dice. We don't have to live here. This is the choice (laughs) that we have made. (laughs) And as we're like shoveling ourselves out of snow, layering up our clothes, and like religiously checking the temperature and like converting things to wind chill and Mentally booking trips, or in my case, I am getting the F out and I am going on a trip to a sunny locale because this is insane.
0: Oh, I like the way that you put that. I am getting the F out of here. That, that, <laughs> I couldn't wait for the moment to get out of here. Like minus 31, you said minus 42 with the wind chill. Yeah. I just want to figure out for our American friends, especially, how cold that actually is.
1: I think it's minus a thousand if I'm doing that math
0: right. Well, you know what? I'm not even going to bother to check now because I think you're right. I think you're right. (laughs) I mean, there are some great things that uh, recording this podcast has done. I know I was supposed to be out playing uh, sponge hockey, which is a nice outdoor sport where we run around on the ice Mm -hmm. and have a good excuse to avoid going. So that is uh, absolutely perfect for me.
1: Nice. I know we don't do video for a podcast at this point, but just for your sake, Patrick, in case you're wondering about this weird eerie light that I have on me right now. <laughs> it is my bright light. So that's one of my self-care things that I do in the winter because I am there's not enough sunshine. Actual like feel it on your face, vitamin E D. I don't even know what vitamin you're supposed to get from the sun, but I don't get enough I'm of deep. it. So I have like one of these bright lights that you can put on and it like simulates it for you and So it casts a weird eerie glow and like zooms and stuff. But, you know, (laughs) I just look like I'm haunting people. It's fine.
0: Well, there you go. Like, uh, we're supposed to be a resilience and optimism pod. And so far, (laughs) it just seems like we've just been complaining.
1: No way. I'm showing you my bright light. This is a tool of my resilience. It helps to keep my mood up. It gives me a little boost in the day so that I'm not getting tired at like 2 p.m.
0: Well, that's it. In like the darkness and cold of uh, Winnipeg here, bright lights are essential. (laughs) I don't know how optimistic that is, but we do have a wonderful episode that should brighten some people's moods.
1: Yes. It brightened mine to record it. It brightened mine to listen back to it. And it's brightening mine right now just to think about it.
0: The only thing that I will say listening back to it is there's a lot of talk about ice cream. And that's like the last thing in the world that I would (laughs) want right now.
1: I actually heard somebody yesterday at school pickup talking about being like, okay, well, if you don't hurry up, we won't be able to go for ice cream. And I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I can't tell if ice cream's a punishment or a treat right now. <laughs>
0: well, exactly. Yeah. If you don't hurry up, you're definitely going for ice cream. and You're going to eat it in the backyard. <laughs> I know at the time we recorded it was summer. So ice cream was the go-to snack. But it's yeah. like a go-to winter snack that you
1: have. Um, A go-to winter snack? Not really. I think my go-to is just my mind where I try to believe that I'm in a warmer place. (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
0: For me, hot chocolate and marshmallows.
1: Okay. I do like some hot chocolate. I actually, I don't know if I mentioned this before. So, yeah, December was like a little bit rough um, in terms of being completely immobile um, with my Achilles tear. And a friend of mine actually did the sweetest thing. I one day just went like my husband and child went to the door to leave. And then they're like, there's something here for you. And then my kid brings in this package. And there'd just been like this package left on my doorstep. And with my name on it. And so then I opened it and it was like a secret Santa kit with like this really cute letter. And it was like, you know, we know that times have been a little bit rough right now. And so there's something to hopefully brighten the lead up to Christmas. And it was like a 12 days of Christmas. And so it was like, okay, starting on like whatever date, open one gift per day. And they were all numbered and they didn't say who it was from. And so every day I, like my family and I would gather around and we'd open a gift and it was so like the gifts were great, but just the whole idea that somebody took the time to put that together and who like just thought of me that way. And it was, it was beautiful. It made me cry to get the letter. And like every day I just felt such gratitude that I had somebody who did that, like somebody so thoughtful, somebody so compassionate let alone like the countless other people who have checked in and just sort of offered their help and assistance. And I think that's been really crucial just to, for my resilience journey in general. And we talk about this a lot community and just asking for help and having people who will heed the call. And so I did figure out who it was because um, while I have a lot of amazing people in my life, there are only a few who I was, who I was like who would come up with something like that and be able to execute it without spoiling the surprise.
0: (laughs) Well, you're making me blush, but uh, you're more than welcome. That's uh, the least I could do.
1: <laughs> nice try. I figured out who it was, and I sent them a message and thanked them, and I've spoken to them about it. So that's blasphemous that you're trying to take credit. <laughs> I, do.
0: <laughs> I don't know why I would do that. Uh, no, but that's that's actually awesome. I like that point once again, like ringing it home, like community, 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 and just different aspects of what's that like, and just especially from listening through this episode, I think one of the things that you'll pick up on here is even within our community, there's still so many different stories and so many different voices in that community. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I mean, we'll talk a little bit about it in the, in the wrap up, but this one was really, really interesting for me because this might've been our last uh, like interview that we did like it through our, throughout our chain. And this story comes with a completely different angle in connection to like the past and leading into like some of the things into the present that that still ties into the community and the stories that we've been telling, but just a completely different angle of that. I and mean, it was one of those things where it's kind of makes you reevaluate some of the things going on or that have gone on in your own life and how that is affecting your journey forward.
1: Absolutely. So I just want to invite everybody who's listening to Get comfortable and get ready for a really in-depth, open, candid conversation and also just... In terms of a content warning, this does involve discussions of family violence and growing up in an abusive home. So if that is something that is too much for you to handle or too much for you to deal with, please feel free to skip to like halfway through the episode and do whatever you need to do to be kind to yourself and take care of yourself because we're here to promote our resilience, build our optimism, and we never want to do anything that's going to bring you pain. So take care of yourself and we'll see you on the other side. Okay, so today on this episode of Scars and Lemonade, we are very fortunate to have as a guest Grace, who is a devoted parent to a very smart, funny, hilarious child. She is an incredibly talented chef, a proud Filipino and queer woman, and a friend with an absolutely huge, ginormous, beautiful, beating heart that I'm so lucky to have in my life. Please welcome Grace. Thank you.
0: Missed my cue again. I'm, I'm sorry. We, we got it.
2: <laughs>
0: Calm down, people. Calm down. Calm down. Calm
1: down. So, Grace, before we get started with our questioning, we are going to play our first game with you. It is Ooh. called Lemon Seeds. We don't know what it's called yet. It's one of those two, so we're just recording both. <laughs> <laughs> so if you can pull up on your phone... The website, randomwordgenerator.com. Okay. And then you're going to not tell us the word that's there, but keep it in mind for yourself. Okay. And you're going to attempt to work that word into the conversation at least three times. And at the mm-hmm. end, we will each okay. guess each other's words. So we'll be playing too. If the word that you get is something like the or, I don't know, like, ah, something that you would use a million times and no one would ever notice, then we ask that you please choose another word.
0: Yeah, you want a word that's slightly challenging, but not impossible to work in.
1: Okay. And you might want to write it down somewhere. I often do because I can't be trusted to always remember. (laughs) Okay. Everybody have their word?
0: I do have my word. I'm not quite sure how I'm going to use it, but I do have my word.
1: So we're going to get right into the meat of the conversation.
0: We are, but speaking of meat, and before we get too far ahead of ourselves just going off your intro there where you mentioned that grace is a chef Right? Yes. okay so i just want on one quick food question before we hop into it so sure well, well i'll probably ask you a few more throughout the course of the show <laughs> but as a chef then how long have you been cooking sorry
3: um i have been cooking for about 20 years
0: okay wow okay then yeah then you will easily have an answer to this question Yeah. What's one of the worst things that you've ever made or a disaster that you've had, like a cooking experience disaster?
3: Oh, geez. There are so many. Oh, there are so many. Um, um, I think, well, I used to, my background is, uh, like I'm French trained and so I have my Red Seal, but I did a lot of cooking competitions, like both nationally and internationally. So I think a lot of people are like, what the heck is that? But it's just like any sport, but we're cooking and we have a certain timeline, um, and so I was doing a black box competition and my execution for basically everything, like the appetizer, the main, and the dessert, it was horrible. Like it was to the point <laughs> that one of my mentors came up to me and was like, do you just want to take your knives and go home now? <laughs> oh,
0: wow. <laughs> oh
3: this is kind of like the culture that I was raised in. So to, for someone to be really harsh with me, you just say, yes, chef, and put your head down. Um, and I was like, no, chef, I can do it. But I think I was like an hour late. It was very humiliating, Um, but I remember it was a dessert. Dessert is not my forte. I am like a cook's cook. Um, I use recipes as guidelines. Baking is a science, and I'm always like, I don't like authority. I don't like to be told, so I'm like, no, I don't want to add that much sugar. (laughs) So I think I was just like mucking around, and the execution was very poor, and I can still remember um, I was making like a very thinly slice, a piece of pineapple, you dredge it in a little bit of icing sugar and then you bake it on a mold in the oven, very low and slow. And by the time, if you've done it right, you take it out and it's like a little wafer. Like it's like, a Hmm. it came out and it was like a floppy tortilla. (laughs) Um, and my ice cream did not freeze. Like there was, I think it was just my nerves. And when you start, you know, kind of, you start down that way. You just, the execution is just poor. The ice cream was like a sauce, and I had like a sauce and a tortilla. It was it was a whole
1: thing. <laughs> I still I don't know if I've forgiven myself yet. <laughs>
3: <laughs>
1: well, if you want to a- try it again, we are happy to sample whatever you make.
0: Okay. <laughs> I was going to say, like, was it terrible from like a gourmet standard, or like average yeah. Joe would still be able to tell?
3: Average Joe would absolutely be like, "This is not ice cream," and I would go, "I know, I failed." I'm
0: sorry.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
2: Delicious ice creams after
1: that. So, okay. Well, we already know that you're like a top chef, kitchen queen, possible or like capable of doing many things. She made me this like my first ever poke bowl and it was delicious. I loved it. Um, but segueing from poke, (laughs) if you don't mind us poke, poking a little bit into (laughs) our past, wow,
0: wow. And that's the humor you can expect on Scars and Lemonade.
1: Um, oh, God, now this is going to be awful because I'm going to ask like a serious first question. <laughs> <laughs> but here we go. Okay. <laughs> okay, so we're going to talk a little bit about your childhood. Um, okay. You know, We all carry some scars from our childhood, um, some of which we've been able to turn into lemonade, some of which remain unhealed you witnessed some things as a child that no child should have to in what should be the safety of their own home. So for our audiences who have not met you before and don't know your story, can you please share whatever it is you're comfortable with sharing with us um, about what your childhood was like, and what it was like inside your home?
3: Yeah, of course. Um, something to consider too is that I feel awkward at times sharing because it involves so many people. Yes. Um, But what I will say for sure is that everything I'm saying is from my personal experience and my point of view, and I am going to do my best not to speak for, you know, other people. Um, What I will say though, is that when somebody has caused harm, I think for victims, it's okay to kind of like mention who those people are. And so for me, I'll kind of build a story. And it's, um, I grew up with a very abusive father I'm not giving any excuse, but he grew up being really, really badly abused as a child. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's more trauma there that kind of led him to be, you know, undiagnosed for many mental mm-hmm. illnesses. And also he didn't feel that he wanted to get help. Okay. Um, again, in our culture, being Filipino, um, not many people seek psychological help because it means you're crazy. So instead, we just kind of carry this burden of, generational trauma continue it down the line and abuses sometimes like it's unfortunate but it's very common so it almost normalizes that kind of family dynamic okay. um and so I think that's why my mom wasn't able to get a lot of support within like our Filipino community um but yeah I think I remember I recall like actually feeling feeling unsafe probably at the age of two wow um yeah, like I, I remember feelings. I can remember flashbacks. Um, and the weird, really weird thing is I'm the youngest. Um, I have a sister who's four years older and then my mom. Um, but my dad would often, um, abuse my mom for sure. And my sister, um, and very seldomly I would get hit. So there is trauma in that too, Mm -hmm. because it's like, well, you didn't physically get hit, so you're fine. So you almost get gaslit and things get minimized within your family. Um, but I think being the youngest and observing all of this was, was hard because you almost felt guilty. Like, Oh, well, like, like, shouldn't have, I I should have gotten hit too. Like, uh-huh. you know, like we, we should all bear a little bit of this, you know, anger that my dad had. Um, but yeah, I was about two or three where I remember, I remember some flashbacks, but um, the biggest one had to be when, it was probably the worst time I actually saw my dad literally beating my mom. Um, and I was six. No, I was seven. I was seven. And my sister was 11. I remember this cause I'm like seven, 11.
1: Right. <laughs> you know, I um, refrain from singing the Beyonce song. <laughs> <laughs>
3: but, um, yeah, I think how I cope through things is to find humor in things. So like, if I laugh here and there, it's because I'm, I'm self-soothing myself through, mm-hmm. but basically, um, Yeah, we had just made a big move from Alberta to Vancouver. Um, My dad had gotten laid off from a job that he had um, in Alberta and he had had it for like, it was a union job. It was like really good. And so he took it really hard. So he's like, you know what, let's move to my in-laws and let's move to, you know, across the country. And so we did that and he couldn't find work and it was really hard for him to find work. So obviously anything to do with like stress, mental stress, and then money Mm -hmm. um, it would turn into anger and him feeling, you know, um, inadequate. And he would blame my mom and take it out on my mom. And I remember it was like a Sunday morning, um, me and my sister were downstairs playing. And then we thought like our parents were like laughing and we're like, oh my God, like we want to join the party. Let's go. And like, we ran upstairs. Um, and it, it was such a juxtaposition because I, I remember so vividly, the steps the motions exactly what happened and it's like you you try to do a lot of therapy you try to kind of like work it through Mm -hmm. I think the only thing that has helped with therapy is just really understanding it but Mm -hmm. nothing ever takes away the vision of like what the abuse that you see right And it's it's really it's like a it's like seeing a bad movie you're like oh I wish I never saw that again but like you remember Mm -hmm. how bad it was and um yeah, he was in our room with my mom and I don't know they had had an argument, but he was a lot bigger than my mom and he just wouldn't stop. And I remember like wanting to jump in, but I was only seven and I felt like I'm going to get my ass kicked if I jump in. So I was scared. Mm -hmm. So I stood there and I froze. Um, and my sister actually jumped in and I, I couldn't believe it. Like she jumped in, but it didn't stop him. Mm -hmm. And it was so bad to the point that usually we would make up like excuses. My mom would teach us excuses. So like, if we went to church or we're some sort of family outing, it was like, remember, like I, I fell down the stairs or remember, like I, I was so um, clumsy and I like locked my hand. Like there were so many things we had to kind of practice with my mom. Mm -hmm.
2: Um,
3: And so this one was really bad. Like she had bruises everywhere and um yeah like a bleeding nose and everything and he just when my dad starts like when he would start he just he couldn't stop nothing could stop him and what he would do is he would leave the house and he would come back maybe a day or two later um and the rule was when he came back it was like my mom trained us to be like everything's fine don't mention it okay
1: yeah because you're worried um, about starting it up again and what could be the provocations yeah. and things yeah we make it we, we really learned
3: how to accommodate to him mm-hmm. and to create a space for him when he was the one that really, um, really shook things up for us. Yeah. But yeah, at a very young age, I learned how to kind of like switch, like code switch in that way. Yeah. yeah like in a, so.
0: It, and that's a very interesting thing. Even the part where you mentioned watching all the violence and it not happening to you. And then making excuses as a family to kind of protect, I guess, like this family unit that wasn't really operating as the family unit that would make you guys feel safe and protected, right? And then as a family, you're making up these excuses to keep supporting this behavior. You're coddling – I want to say coddling, but you're trying to, I guess, try to make an environment on your own as a 7, as an 11-year-old, as – uh, like your mother, a victim, are trying to make this this protective little unit to that doesn't burst the bubble, I guess, and push more of that going forward. And even though, like I think you mentioned earlier, where you felt a little bit of you should also have, I guess, just because what's going on in the house that you feel like you should have been part of that as well. And just watching traumatic things happen to other people is kind of hard. But that's your sense of wanting to protect The rest of your family as well. So yeah, yeah, as an adult growing in, I think sometimes we don't take into account the fact that even if it's not happening to you and you're in the house where that is, that that isn't normal. And it does have such a big effect on how you develop going forward, right?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. So then moving forward through that, as you grow up and you start forming relationships of your own. Whether that's like friendships, romantic relationships, even like work relationships. How do you approach them and what's your relationship to the truth in relationships now?
3: I think if my mom had stayed, I would have more of a tolerance for abusive behavior. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that I don't have a tolerance for abusive behavior. I think when you experience, when your innocence is taken away at such a young age, I think there's a level of tolerance that you have because it feels closer to home in a very twisted way Mm -hmm. um but after that really like transformative epic fight that we had seen my mom something switched in her and she we actually ran away from home so we ran away from home and we stayed with church people and then it was a very like scary time where we felt like fugitives because my dad would try and find us and then finally she got a lawyer um and then we lived in a transitional home so a transitional home for battered women and children which was like so different from what we had experienced yeah. and you know a lot of these women are like mothers trying to make it work but also had a lot of mental illness it was very scary for us um and every family had like one room so we shared a queen bed like you know you're trying to figure things All out All three of you on the queen bed? Yeah. Yeah, okay. I thought it was cool. I was 7. I was like Yeah, you like cool. sleep over every night. Sleep <laughs> every night. What a community. Like my <laughs> mom's cooking sheet and bake for everybody like <laughs> Um, but it was, like, as you get older, you kind of get sad. because like, oh, fuck, this was, like, an undisclosed home. It was, like, yeah. you know. It, yeah. But anyways, I think that whole transition really woke me up. And, like, at age eight, I understood life in a very different way. Yeah, I understood that my mom was a human. I understood that, like, her heart is so big that she can love and forgive. And that's something that I have from her. And I never mm-hmm. want to change that. hmm There's also a level of like discernment that I didn't learn at a young age. And so I think after that whole experience, I just wanted to be everybody's friend. Right. And so I just wanted to be liked by everybody. And I don't know if that's like because I'm a cancer, but it's also (laughs) because I know what it's like to not be liked Mm -hmm. to a point that someone could cause physical harm.
1: Right. It Um, holds a different
3: currency. Yeah, it holds a different currency. Absolutely, I think I, I've always felt like I needed to be a pe- like a peacemaker, see both sides of everything. I hold myself in high regard in terms of like creating a safe space for everybody, and like maybe putting my own needs in the back burner just because people's safety means more to me than my safety. Because I'm like, oh, I can figure it out. I can figure right. it out. But is mm. everybody okay? Um, so I think how I, how I definitely relate to people because of that childhood that I had is I definitely over-accommodate, over in order to create peace and harmony because I'm afraid of that shoe falling, which could be, yeah. you know, someone saying like rejecting me or like causing harm or doing things like that. So I'm like, I've just been conditioned and used to kind of creating a safe space for everybody because that was so something that was rare in my childhood.
1: Mm -hmm. Have you been able to um, have conversations with your mom about any of this, like as an adult now and as a parent yourself? Um, Yeah.
3: yeah. Um, It's strange actually um, that like the whole timing in this podcast is I think I've heard more stories from my mom and her reasonings and Mm -hmm. her thought process on on her relationship with my dad than I have in my adolescence or, or young adulthood. Um, we literally have an email thread going back and forth of questions and she's like, Oh, that's lovely. open Yeah. And this has never happened before. Um, and I just, I'm curious because it's like, I'm personally, I've been separated for over a year going through the divorce process, mm-hmm. new to online dating. And you know, making relationships with different people. Yeah. And it's interesting because I noticed that I'm going into it with that over-accommodating. Ah, yeah. interesting. Yeah. Okay. So so there's, and it's interesting that I'm also, there is truth to that, that if you choose a partner based on, you know, your parents in yeah. a way and how they feel love, I think because it feels so familiar. Yeah. So you, it's very quick to be like, instant gratification. This feels like home. This feels good. Right. Unfortunately, I've met some people that I I know that I've done enough therapy. I know that I have good people in my life that I'm like, this does not seem like the, like, it's not parallel to the track that I'm on, but there's something about that kind of struggle love that it feels so familiar to me that it's opened up conversation with my mom. And it's interesting because she, She's like, it's just that, that innate feeling, belief, like that optimism, right? This person's going to change. I'm going to be that Mm. person to help them. Yeah. And also seeing like the potential in that person. Um, And it's almost like I get to rewrite it because I'm like, I never had that with my dad. I never had that. Ooh, okay. um, That's interesting. aha moment of Uh seeing my dad transition because he just left our lives. Right. And so feeling that level of abandonment, it's almost like I can see myself choosing partners in Tinder or Bumble or whatever. And I can see these red flags, but I'm like, maybe this is my, my opportunity to rewrite what I've always like yearned for. And it's just, it's raw. It's not okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's kind of where I'm at right now, to be completely mm. so honest.
0: Being able to identify that as yeah. you go in is an interesting interesting point for you to bring up, being like, even though you've seen this, if you've gone through the fit therapy and you can kind of see it happening, there's still, it's still not as easy to flick the switch and just be on-off for that. I think a lot of that has to do, and I know nothing, I have no uh, psychology degree or anything here, so I'm just talking out of my ass, but I think a lot of that is just how loving you are and a little bit to do with your mom, and you've seen this, was just so accommodating and wanting to believe in the best and what we said earlier, what optimism was, right? Seeing that potential in someone or in even a dark opportunity of being able to flick that. Personally, from the last little segment that we just talked about here and just your relationship with your mother, like I find it incredible, especially if you go back, as an immigrant at that time— a That's nothing that's normalized, especially in the immigrant community. I know you mentioned the Filipino community, but black culture, Indian culture, like all of that's the same when you start to look at immigrants mm-hmm. and some of the stigma behind mental health or being able to, or, well, marriage especially, mm-hmm. right? Like divorce would have been unheard of in a lot of right. these cultures. Like, <laughs> so just for her to be able to do that, to create that space for you, just speaks to the kind of loving person that she was.
1: Yeah. And I also wanted to just say shout out to your mom, too, because I know, like, obviously it takes a lot of strength to leave. It also takes strength to stay because I don't want to minimize for people who end up staying that it's anything to do with them or or like a default or a flaw or anything on their end. There's so much nuance and so much below the surface that you just don't know what anybody's life is like. You don't know why they're making the choices that they make, but you do know that your mom loves you. And I'm just I think it's really incredible that she's able and willing to revisit that time with you so that you can learn from it and you can share in it. And then you get to see what life was like through her eyes now that you're an adult as well.
3: Thank you for that acknowledgement. Of course. Yeah. Um, and also the piece, Patrick, about, yeah, the, being an immigrant. Um, mm. That is traumatic on its own. And it is, yeah, that is not normalized. And it just, there is so much, I feel like, I personally am unpacking that I have to take breaks and mm. I need to just live life through almost like the white lens sometimes where I'm like, okay, you know what? I'm gonna turn on sex in the city and I'm just gonna <laughs> see what it's like I'm a middle-aged woman. Okay, I'm Diane Keaton, I'm like. <laughs> You're in a Nancy Myers kitchen. <laughs> yeah, like- An
0: exotic Diane Keaton. <laughs> yes.
3: But because it's just, it's a lot, it's a lot. Um, but I think I'm able to be aware because I, I do have, you know, mental illness. I have depression and anxiety. Um, I have a counselor who I see every week. I am very privileged and I acknowledge that I can, you know, afford therapy every week. Um, and she keeps me accountable for my actions. And, um, I used to only see the Diane Keatons of counselors, you know, kind of middle aged white
1: <laughs> woman wearing was, a turtleneck was, sweater,
3: and... <laughs> wearing all the incline, like bike re- like bike road to like our session it was like, How'd you get here? I'm like, um, I'm depressed. Like, I don't even know how I'm here right now. Like, yeah. thank you. Like um, and I would honestly like code switch for that too. Like I'd yeah. like do my makeup, wear a nice outfit so that I didn't look crazy. Now I was like, fuck that shit. I like to hire people like way younger than me, completely different. Oh, I'm sorry. You can't swear on this podcast.
1: This is actually for children. I'm sorry. I'm just kidding.
2: kidding.
0: (laughs) 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 Now we play this at nurseries and (laughs) daycares.
3: But the reason I chose her is because um, she works from like a non-oppressive framework and also really believes in decolonizing, you know, anything to do with like our wellness Mm
2: -hmm.
3: with the wellness world. So that has been transformative for me. And then also talking through my process of who I find attractive and why. And like, Oh, that's an interesting one too.
2: That sounds like like a whole other episode. Maybe.
0: (laughs) (laughs) One thing we got to come up with some kind of word or something like, uh, like uh, instead of saying we commend you all the time, something that's scars and lemonade related because people talk all the time. There's such great points of information that you share. The fact that you are conscious enough to seek out a therapist that breaks away from that traditional norm and someone's like, this might work better for me as a person, being able to identify that and think about that. I don't think a lot of people even process that or think about why would I want someone that can relate to me a little bit better or looks like me or whatever it is. Right. So seeking that out and being conscious of it's not a one size fits all. Mm -hmm. I think it's an important part that our listeners could gain from for sure.
1: And I actually wanted to go back. Sorry, go ahead, Grace.
3: No, I was going to say I, it was because I started going to something in Vancouver called the walk talks and it was like women of color talks. um, And basically it was uh, run by a woman named Rachel and Anita, and both of them are friends, and we're like, we need a safe space for women of color to talk about Mm -hmm. their lived experience, and from there, it's become, like, a place for resources and for people to um, connect and even employ each other. Mm -hmm. Like, it's just this whole community Mm. that has really leveled up my life in terms of, oh, I have choice in where I spend my money, I have choice in where I ask for help, and it doesn't always have to be what what I've been introduced to as a child.
1: Mm-hmm. I like, is, like that.
3: Yeah. It's been life changing.
1: So then when we're talking about having choice and things before you were talking about like online dating and uh, using apps and having do overs, because kind of trying to, you know, have the do over in your relationship with your father. But yeah. what I'm kind of looking at it as is as you're going through and you're noticing these flags and flagging it for yourself, it's like, you're giving yourself a do over to want different and want more for yourself And so I just wanted to ask kind of what does that look like for you as you're going through? Are you noticing how you're, instead of maybe processing the people that you're seeing, like, you know, oh, this person has this red flag or this person won't be a good fit for me. Are you centering yourself more in the narrative now, do you find?
3: Yes and no. Um, Yes, in terms of I'm centering my pleasure. Mm -hmm. Um, So if... An experience with somebody brings me joy if I like their energy if there are good parts of when we converse or hang out then I'm saying yes to that and I feel like in my marriage definitely becoming a wife becoming a mother
2: mm-hmm.
3: I felt like I had to start saying no to pleasure and play mm-hmm. um, and so I think just even me downloading these apps when I felt ready mm-hmm. like I think I waited almost yeah a year because I was just like this is weird I don't I was married now I'm not and now mm-hmm. I'm like I am I'm going to swear I am fucking <laughs> it.
2: I'm in it,
3: I am in it to play and to feel pleasure in any way it could be like through conversation mm-hmm. and yeah it's just vibes like I'm like yes 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 um I think that I've also leaned into being honest with myself and coming out as a bisexual woman, um, at the age of 35, Mm -hmm. always knowing that I had, you know, erotic and romantic feelings about women, but just growing up in a Filipino Christian community, um, it was a big no, no. So I feel like even though I'm hitting roadblocks and finding, you know, There's some light being shone on me and how I show up to relationships that aren't great either. And I'm like, oh, so I'm not perfect.
0: This is is news to (laughs) me.
3: This is awkward. I've done 10 plus years of therapy. I thought I was good. Um,
0: And I can make ice cream now.
3: (laughs) I can make ice cream. Um, It's, yeah, it's been interesting. Yeah, just saying saying yes to what feels good and saying yes to, like, to who I am and not having, like, any construct tell me otherwise has Mm -hmm. been really freeing. Um, So, yeah, I think I'm in a really good place in terms of that. I think I center myself sometimes. Um, I think just the act of showing up and having conversations with women and men is centering myself, is being like, whoa, you go race. (laughs)
2: <laughs>
1: so well, like, it, even though you're scared, when you're showing up for yourself, I want to know like when did you realize you can show up for yourself? When did you realize that you are a person who is incredibly resilient?
3: Uh, when I asked for my divorce, I felt like that that was such a huge. It was. I never wanted to be a single parent. I never mm-hmm. wanted to have a divorce. I kind of experienced that at a young age. But understanding that life is so complex Mm -hmm. and that never say never. Like you really, yeah, never say never. And that me asking for the divorce was like the gateway to me opening up to myself Mm -hmm. and saying yes to myself over and over and over again, no matter how hard it was to unlearn or to grieve or to be alone. Every single day I wake up in the morning, like I know that I'm choosing me.
1: I love that.
0: And had you started on this journey of resilience ahead of time? Like, had you already been going to therapy? Is this something that started once that happened? Or was that something, a process that was already in motion?
3: I think it was a slow process that was in motion. um, But I was still operating from like old trauma responses. So Mm -hmm. I kept things really small and tight and like, okay, this is what I was taught. This is right. This is wrong. And so I kind of operated from that almost straight jacket type approach for a while. Um, but I think it was when I started letting go of a lot of the fear mm. um, that brought me to therapy. Um, obviously having depression and anxiety at age 19, that was really like debilitating for me. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of unpacking, uncovering like what that was all about. It was just like delayed response to all the trauma I faced mm-hmm. as a kid. And I think once I actually started to do decolonizing work within myself, that's when I started going, oh shit, I'm actually resilient. And so are the women before me and my ancestors. Mm-hmm. I started going deeper into like, how am I making a difference in my life? I think when I gave birth to my son, boom, there's another hit of resilience. You're like, okay, I need to do better. I have a little person staring at me in a very harsh world. Yeah. Yeah. And my job to do my own unlearning to relearn to cause less harm in this little human that is so far like a boy in today's world. So I think definitely like motherhood, like I think hitting depression in a very like go, 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 you're a machine, white male kind of white supremacy cooking world,
2: Mm -hmm.
3: you know, early 2000s when cooking was like super glamorous, um, kind of getting through a lot of kitchens that were really abusive, Hmm. um, as a female cook, who's also like a visible minority, um, was really hard, but understanding once I got out of that, going into kitchens that were more nurturing, having to become a mother, um, also realizing like that pleasure and play is important to me and that, Intimacy is something that I will fight for because my mental like my mental health and my sexual health is like number one to me and that's how I can kind of give back to my community in the world. All of these things have helped remind me of like what it is to reclaim space and reclaim joy but it comes out of very heart gut-wrenching process right like it's I can feel these merits, but it's also really fucking hard to get there. Yep. So, mm. I think my community is what has helped with, like, held me up. Like, sending mass emails and being like, SOS, I'm in the shit. Like, yeah. uh, I need help. Having my counselor help me, like, like, teach me how to make an Excel spreadsheet and, like, have community support of, like, shifts of friends that are going to come in to help me morning, afternoon, and night to, mm-hmm. like, sit with me or just, like, helped me with the transition of being married and then being alone, being yeah. a single mom. Like it's honestly the people that have come into my life that I've allowed to come into my life that have helped me remind me who I am and who I can be. That's Including,
0: beautiful.
1: Yeah,
3: yeah.
0: Powerful.
1: I wanted to ask you following up on the idea of reclaiming space. How has becoming a parent allowed you to reclaim some of your own childhood?
3: Oh my golly. <laughs> <laughs> I think, um, it's reminded me biggest things is like conflict. So when something happens, I was used to, um, you know, I was very much raised in the whole, like be seen, not heard.
2: Mm
3: -hmm. Right. So I'm really kind of practicing gentle parenting. Um, trying like, you know, I'm not saying that I don't threaten. Like, I'll be like, okay, then you don't get that ice cream. (laughs) That mom made by herself. (laughs) You don't get get that sauce. Okay, you don't get the sauce serve. You're giving me some attitude. (laughs) Um, So I do threaten in that sense. um, But I mean, I was used to like like, like threatening kind of... Unsafe. Approaches and words. Yeah, I was used to um, like being completely scolded if you made a mistake like dropped milk or something you know right here in my home like Cooper knows like he'll be like I'm sorry I'm so sorry I'm so sorry I'm like it's a mistake it's totally fine it was an accident like you didn't mean to totally cool how do we how do we solve this like what's the solution like I have learned to just be very like neutral and that's me reclaiming my own inner child because that just wasn't available for me and so Mm -hmm. he's like oh okay cool like I can literally like Oopsie daisies. What can I do next? (laughs) Oh, grab a towel, wipe it up, go on with the day. Whereas I would beat myself up as a kid over that. Right. I would be like, "You're so stupid." You, oh, you're gonna make mom mad. Like now, mom's disappointed you. You didn't perform. You're not show ready. Da da da. da. Like the list goes on. Show ready. Right. Yeah, show ready is a big thing for me. If I'm not show ready, like I don't want to be out in public. If I'm, I have nothing to offer you. Right. Right. I'm trying to decrease that for my own son but I think that's also really self-soothing for me because I'm like well I really needed that as a kid right um and not negating the fact that having a child was extremely triggering for me I didn't know that it would be um I went through like depression during my pregnancy postpartum depression and anxiety um again I fought for that I was like shit I'm resilient because I fought for like getting maternal mental health like group therapies and things like that because I'm like I need to do better for my son Uh Mm-hmm but a lot of that had to do with like a lot of things coming up for me from my childhood and people don't normalize that. People don't talk about that. The connection between those two things.
0: Yeah. I I keep blown away by like your level of awareness while you're going through these moments. Like it's one thing to sit back from it and then process it afterwards. But as you're going through these individual pieces, like even saying like fighting for, for therapy during maternal leave and dressing your postpartum, doing that while you're there in it and being conscious of it. A lot of the times, at least the way that I've heard it, it's a lot of outsiders that kind of been like, well, maybe you should look at this and like kind of guide some of their friends or close ones and kind of point things out and go through it together. But just to, for you to just be aware, and your level of awareness keeps blowing me away for some of the things that you're mentioning.
3: Thank you. I think it's like, I'm a little neurotic. So I think I just, I get so scared. I, I really like, it's always a joke. Like at work, I'm like, I lead with fear. Okay, let's do this. Oh, let's yes. have a good
2: service. <laughs>
3: because I'm quite fearful. I'm always like, I'm scared. I'm scared. I'm scared. So I think, um, especially having a little baby, mm-hmm. you know, you're responsible for so much and like the lack of community in, you know, are like, Western culture, like the whole individual individualistic kind of mentality really is such a disservice for mothers.
1: Purely. Oh, yeah. And um, it's like this image where you're supposed to be like this domestic goddess queen who's just like <laughs> pumping out the milk and like doing all of the things and doing the swaddling and like not even breaking a sweat and tired, but loving it.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, I just have a messy bun and a Starbucks. Like,
3: I'm fine. Okay, Pinterest, calm down. <laughs> I think, yeah, I, um, I've gotten that a lot that I'm very aware and it's this, this fight within me where I'm like, like, I have to conquer this. Like I, mm-hmm. I have to, like, I may not be able to move forward because I'm so overwhelmed, but I'm like, she's there. Yeah. She's like, Grace, let's break this down. Like a bit analytical about it. Right. Right. Um, and ha- being a mother, I think makes me go into overdrive in terms of that. So if I'm not doing so well, it's like, I will be the first to like message, you know, a group of my close friends and be like, Hey, SOS. Yeah. I think I've always been like that, but it's always been looked at negatively in my family. Like, Oh, grace is an overshare.
2: Mm.
1: And that's like a cultural thing too. Right. Cause I, <laughs> yeah, we're in the Nigerian community. We play it pretty close to the best too, where you just, you want to put your, um, best foot forward or your best face forward or whatever that expression is so that other people think everything's okay and that you're thriving instead of sometimes just, like, fighting to survive.
0: Well, that's it. It's yeah. like uh, what Grace mentioned, show ready. Yes. Right? Like, that's the same thing, too. Like, Caribbean culture, Indian culture, same. like, just being out in public and – this pillar of virtue, yeah. and you could do no wrong, yeah. and you have like just that force of like having to internalize all this stuff. Yeah, like, it doesn't matter what's going on. So, hmm.
1: so then I want to just ask you one final question, and I'm going to put this out there as a reminder. If you haven't used your word, you might want to try to throw it in there <laughs> casually. Those are beautiful plants behind
0: you, by the way, I like those plant pots.
1: Yeah. You're my roommate. It makes me feel like alone. <laughs> I say, I keep thinking you're like on like green screen because they just look so perfect and well put together and I'm just like oh how did she get that virtual background and I'm like oh no it's real <laughs> nothing's pixelated when she moves her arm yeah well it's like so you turned your head and I was like how's she not getting that weird hair shadow that you get with virtual backgrounds I'm like because it's not a weird hair shadow because it's just life this is what her background is <laughs> But tried, for the final question, we're going to bring this kind of back to parenthood and um, generational trauma, I guess. So what advice mm. do you have for people who are processing their own childhood challenges and traumas while also navigating parenting so that they're not kind of paying that generational trauma forward, so to speak? I would ask
3: each parent to, A, like, do they feel that they want better for their kid, And if so, to really consider the harm that they potentially are causing currently being really 100% real with themselves. Again, like for me to be this, at this point of being aware, like I continue to have to uncover a lot of harm that I cause people, my family, my ex-husband, my son, myself, people I'm dating, like it goes on and on, but being able to like sit with that and go, okay, I own it. I feel really bad about it. I'm sorry about it. But then to take corrective action after and whether that be like an apology, writing things down, like journaling to stay telling close friends so then they can call you out and keep you accountable. Mm -hmm. It really starts with yourself. It starts with doing the work on yourself before you can even be like a good parent, whatever that is. If you're causing less harm and you want to minimize, you know, generational trauma, you honestly have to see how are you coping? Mm-hmm. What are you doing? Because if you, you don't get to the root of like where your heart's at and like the harm you're causing yourself, the guilt and shame you're causing yourself, like it is, it is a very tall ask to like start asking to show up better for other people, especially your kids. Hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And it, it's, it, it's frustrating. I get it. Cause it's like, it's the same kind of thing where it's like, you need to learn to love yourself before you can love someone else. I'm like, bullshit. I want to do both in tandem. <laughs> I want them to love on me. And I also want to do my work, but I want to do it at the same time. And I want them to like hang out sometimes. Yeah. There is truth to that. Like you have to just chill the fuck out, do your own thing. <laughs> think about what's happening without any distraction. Um, it's the same thing with like, minimizing generational trauma to your family is like, mm-hmm. you can love on your family and do the things and you can still fuck up, but also be working on how do, how can you minimize harm on yourself and on the people you love? But it's just being real with yourself and being like 100% committed to like hearing things you don't want to hear about yourself and going, okay, what are the strategies? What, what things can I do to kind of more cultivate a more like loving understanding space instead of like blaming and like being hard done by and this, it's like, we can only move up from here. Like, yeah.
0: Seems like you're saying like, give yourself an extreme dose of honesty and self care.
3: Yes. And the biggest thing I learned in counseling is like, you don't need to have solutions for anything. You can be aware the biggest thing you need to have is understanding. Hmm. Can you understand why you made that decision? It wasn't a great decision. Let's not lie. But can you have understanding for yourself? Can we have understanding moving forward of ways you want to show up? Okay, how do we do that? It's a practice. It's, it's a <laughs> practice. <laughs>
1: and i think that's advice too right it's a practice it's not just you can't just do it all in one and done you can't be like okay well i ticked these boxes now i'm resilient and now this is just going to carry me through forever or like now i did this and i have this amount of optimism and it will never run out (laughs)
2: that's
3: why i always hit roadblocks because i'm like i think like that i'm like check 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 okay where's my gold star and it's like it doesn't work like that. yeah
0: (laughs) yeah definitely not a math formula you need extreme (laughs) patience for this kind of process now, I know this is going to be kind of rude because you said it was the last question, right? But is
1: this a food question? It is a food question. <laughs>
0: it is a food question. It is a food question. I'm, no, I'm just curious right now because I'm sure that as a chef for like 20 years, you've had extremely different kinds of foods, wild and crazy exotic things. What's the most exotic thing that you've eaten? And And two-part question. And something that you've been able to prepare that's extremely different but also delicious.
3: Hmm. Um. I'd say the most exotic thing I've ever had would be as a child. It was my favorite Filipino dish. It's called Dina Guan. Mm-hmm. Dina Guan was. It's like you. It's like a like a pork stew. It's very dark. It's served over white rice. Okay. You eat it with a banana. You eat it with a banana, and it was my favorite. And I would just like be so happy. It's very vinegary. It's like quite rich. Like the viscosity is kind of like. Like, just think of, like, a thick stew. The, you put the pork in your mouth, it just falls apart. <laughs> <Soul>. It's <got> all <laughs> vinegar. It's got a bit of vinegar. So it's, like, that fat vinegar. It cuts each other. It just, it's wonderful. And you eat it with a banana. adds a bit of sweetness. Uh-huh. And you eat it with rice. And then my sister took me to the freezer and was like, you know what? Mom's been cooking. You know, Dina Gu'an it's your favorite. I was like, yeah. She was like, okay, hey, look. Look what it's made out of. And it was just, like, all I remember is seeing, like, frozen containers of pig's blood (laughs) (laughs) oh my god so it's basically like um yeah a pig's blood soup because you know back in the day Filipino culture they didn't waste anything I was just
1: thinking that too I was like because well you know if you're eating everything else you don't want to waste it (laughs) so it's been a while since
3: I've had it um I was kind of traumatized and my sister thought it was really funny. I <laughs> was so mad. My mom's like, "Your sister loves this. Why would you do that?" Um, but yeah, it's it's a really popular dish in the Philippines. So I'd say that's the most exotic thing that I've ever had. Um, I think also really expensive truffles in France. Um, ooh, ooh la la! Like yeah, I I invested. I stayed in France for two months, worked at Michelin star restaurants for free, and I had a nine course tasting menu by myself. That was, um, that was, Canadian. Um, But it was really cool to kind of taste that caliber of cooking. Mm -hmm. But I just love home cooking. I love Filipino food. I love any food cooked with soul. Yeah. You know, you would look at it as like peasant food. (laughs) That's, That's what I love. Like all of this like molecular gastronomy and all this stuff. There is some soul to it, but it's very whitewashed. And it doesn't really, it doesn't, doesn't really relate to me anymore
1: yeah it doesn't quite it's like it takes what it's supposed to be and then just kind of strips it of everything that makes it what it is (laughs) and i don't know how else to put it but yeah i know what you mean um and the most
3: exotic thing i've ever ever done uh like cooked i would have to say mm, i guess yeah molecular gastronomy it's pretty exotic to me i didn't grow up cooking like that um, learning how to kind of, uh, what do you say? Like you're taking food, you're making it look like a piece of art. Um, you still have to make sure that it's like hot. It's ready for the judges to eat. Um, you're keeping the integrity of the flavor, but say the tomato doesn't look like a tomato anymore. It now it's right. like a little meal, right? Like, it looks like a little <laughs> something. Um, so yeah, kind of deconstructing things was pretty exotic for me piecing it together to make it look like something that it's not. So when the person, like the judge or customer eats it, they're like, what the hell's happening? (laughs) I'm more straightforward. I want you to see what you see. What you see is what you're going to get enjoy it, feel my heart. Yeah. That's what I'm about.
1: When I think of um, yeah. molecular gastronomy, I think of that scene in Always Be My Maybe, that yes! Alan Long movie when they're in the restaurant and, like, Keanu Reeves is, like, weeping while, like... <laughs> oh,
2: like what is it?
1: While eating, like, I don't know, air. Um, yeah, exactly. You're like, who's going to
3: pay for this?
0: Like... <laughs> I won't lie. I had to Google on my phone what you guys were talking about for for a minute there. I eat peasant food. So that's why I was was asking.
3: We call it real food. We call it, you know, soul food. We call it heart food. Like it's real. It's your everyday food. It's like, I can cook it. You can cook it. My son can probably cook it. Like that's the food I'm about.
1: I'm about this conversation we had. And I want to say thank you so much for chatting with us. And before we move into the final game of the day, does anyone want to take a stab or a guess at anybody else's word?
0: I'm going to guess that Grace's word is gastronomy or molecular.
1: Word. <laughs> was your word gastronomy? <laughs> no. Okay. My guess for Grace's word was your word potential. No. Was it roadblock? No. Are we on the right track at all? Pleasure. Pleasure. <laughs> no. Chill. Should I tell you? Flashback. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> we're just starting to have
1: limited guesses around here. Um, okay, wait. Let's think this through, Patrick. Okay, when do we think she used it? What do we think she used? Across? Was it fear?
0: Uh-uh. Okay, that's another good one.
1: Okay, we're stumped. Yeah, I, I, got, I got nothing. Here. I okay, got what nothing. was it?
3: Consider. Oh, and I did use
1: it three times. I like ticked it.
0: <laughs> Everyone's got a pen and paper and doing this the correct way. Okay. I got
2: okay.
1: It. So Grace, what do we think Patrick's word was? I have a good guess, but well, I think it's a good guess until I'm probably wrong. Oh, I but you <laughs> do you have any thoughts? Aware? Nope. That was one of the ones on my list. Okay. Ah. My guess is, was it extreme or extremely? Uh, no. Oh. Impressed? Uh nope. Plant?
0: Nope. (laughs) nope. Dose? No. Did I say dose a bunch?
1: Uh you said it at least once. (laughs) Um huh. Mm -hmm. I have no guesses then. Yeah. Okay, what was yours, Patrick?
0: Okay, and I have to apologize for this one too. My word was exotic, and I think at one point Uh, I called you an exotic (laughs) diet. Which is super racist, by the way.
1: (laughs) As you said it, I was just like, Yeah, I was like, Ah well, that was funny because, like, at the end, I almost wanted to be like, so can we just talk about using the word exotic? I don't really love the word exotic in relation to most things. <laughs> so I was like, why can always called me exotic? Yeah. I was like... Well... <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny because, yeah, like, 100%. When you said exotic, I didn't keep in my face. It's like, uh... And then you're like, what's the most exotic thing you cooked?" And again, I should have just called you out on it. That was... Because in my head, I was like, but it's not exotic. Like, exotic is used... Yeah, like... That is well, so good.
0: <laughs> well, the, the problem with it, too, is... Exotic as a word has been kind of made racist. Yes, yes. But the actual meaning and the way you would define that would actually make sense if it wasn't co-opted. Yes. To by yeah. like yeah. You know what I mean? Like oh,
1: that's so funny. Yeah, that's funny because we clearly like noticed every time you use that <laughs> word
0: that we should get
1: that. But in my head, I was like, I don't remember ever hearing Patrick use this word before. <laughs> but like he's going for it, so okay. Well,
0: it always pops into my head Uh, the office scene where. uh, Oh, I can't... Quincy Jones' daughter. I don't... Christina Jones. Yeah, so, yeah, Jones. Yeah. And there was the one scene where someone's like, oh, like, you're so exotic looking. Was your father a GI? And I'm like, that is so, so racist. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. And
0: that was NBC, like, primetime TV. Yeah, yeah, you know? was yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. What's going on? <laughs>
1: Oh, yeah okay so we should have guessed exotic that's so funny i feel like my brain was like trying to scrub it already from its <laughs> memory it was just like every time you said it i was just like Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. but yes
0: I, I apologize for saying you're an exotic um, but well here. done and
1: we should have just next time I'll, if you <laughs> say a word like that i'm just gonna call you out it was totally <laughs> something i was like i'll wait till we're off the mic <laughs> and then i'll be like so that's super wrong no don't yeah
0: call me out right away
1: okay um anyone want to guess my word Parenting. I, nope.
0: Commendable.
1: Uh, no, you said commendable. I don't think I said it at all.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm playing this game wrong. Apparently. Kudos.
1: Nope. I think that might be you again. <laughs> <laughs> don't laugh, Grace. <laughs> <Sorry>.
0: <laughs> well, what's your guess, Grace? What do you have for uh, Abby's word?
3: Um.
1: I'm really drawing a blank here. Okay, my word was queen. Did you say queen three times? I did. One of them, you threw me. You threw it to me because you were like queen size mattress, and I was like, yeah. all of you on a queen size mattress. Because yeah. I was like, sweet, there's an easy one for me.
0: <laughs> and you said she was the queen of something too. Didn't yeah. You? yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah.
3: Yeah. Oh, the intro.
1: Yeah, I think I used it like right. Yeah, like right after you. the game, ah. and then we were talking about parenting. I said like domestic goddess queen.
0: Oh, that, well done.
1: Well done.
0: done. Well done.
1: All right. Well, that concludes the inter- interview segment of Scars and Lemonade. Stay tuned for the next game. And we're back. <laughs> <laughs> So the game we're going to play with you, Grace, is called Scars or Lemonade. So okay. Patrick will read you a word and you say whether it's a scar, something that you're not really into, or a lemonade, something that makes you smile or happy.
0: Okay. All right. Cooking.
1: Mmm. Scar.
0: Wow. I didn't think that was going to – I thought it was going the other way. Though. <laughs> I
1: thought I, – because I put this list together and I was like, I'm going to put some that could, I think will go either way for her.
0: All right. Cleaning. <laughs> Oh, scar. I was worried you were going to say lemonade. Uh, (laughs) Instagram.
3: Lemonade.
0: (laughs) Driving.
3: Lemonade. Dancing. Lemonade. Bugs. Bar. Candy. Scar.
0: Surprises. Bar. Identity.
3: Lemonade. Motherhood. Mm.
0: Scar. (laughs) Childhood. Scar. (laughs) Tinder. Scar. (laughs) Adulting. Scar. (laughs) Oh, falling in love.
3: Scar. No, lemonade. (laughs) I thought that would go either way.
0: Being in love.
3: Lemonade.
0: Saying goodbye. Scar. Speaking of always be my maybe, rom coms.
3: Oh, lemonade. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the color orange. Lemonade. Talking about money. Scar. <laughs> Mixtapes. Lemonade. <laughs> Pop culture.
3: <laughs> lemonade. <laughs>
0: The ocean. Lemonade. Frank ocean.
1: Lemonade. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Okay, now we're going to do a rapid fire round. Um, pitting two of your two choices against each other and you've got to decide which between is the bigger scar or the bigger lemonade. So cooking versus cleaning. Um,
3: cooking is a Lemonade.
1: Saying goodbye versus talking about money. Ooh,
3: um, uh, saying goodbye
1: is lemonade. Okay. Bugs versus candy. Candy is lemonade. Surprises versus motherhood. Well, I guess they're the same, but
0: <laughs> you know, they don't have to be.
1: A lot of surprises. <laughs> not not motherhood a journey. It. Motherhood's not just the oh, okay. instant motherhood. you become pregnant. It's oh, a whole. Okay. okay. <laughs> motherhood is
0: lemonade. Motherhood
1: okay. is lemonade. Um, childhood versus Tinder. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's a good one.
1: Also, Tinder children is lemonade.
0: <laughs> children don't use Tinder. Let's just wait a bit. Wait okay.
1: A bit. So now we're gonna do a quick lemonade battle. So you say which one you like more, Instagram or driving? Ooh, Instagram. Dancing or identity? Oh, no. Yes,
0: we're doing that.
1: Dancing. Falling in love or being in love? Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> um, falling in love. Rom-coms or the color orange? Rom-coms. This is a three-way. Mixtapes, pop culture, or the ocean? Or Frank. Yeah. Or Frank Ocean. No, nope, oh, never mind. Sorry. Frank- no, nope, that's right. right. Okay, the ocean. Perfect. Okay. So what do we do? Do you want to do a third round?
0: You, well, yeah, let's go to the let's go to the championship round.
1: Okay. Which is the bigger scar? Cleaning or talking about money? Ooh, talking about money is a scar. Which is the bigger scar? Bugs or surprises? Bugs. A uh, bigger scar. Tinder or adulting? <laughs> Tinder. <laughs> <laughs> and now for the three-way of scars, which is your least favorite? Talking about money, bugs, or Tinder? Tinder. Okay. <laughs> and now for Lemonade, Rapid Fire, Instagram versus dancing. Which is which? do you prefer?
3: Um, dancing.
1: Falling in love versus rom-coms? Falling in love. And the ocean versus Frank ocean ocean. Okay. And dancing versus falling in love versus the ocean. Falling in love. Okay. So your ultimate scar is talking about money and your ultimate lemonade is falling in love. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so thank you for playing scars or lemonade, and with that, we will let you get uh, get on with your day. Thanks so much for chatting with us.
0: thanks so much.
1: Thank you so
3: much. That was so great.
1: Well, that was a heck of an episode hey?
0: It sure was now one of the one of the phrases that I want to make sure that uh that I'm able to pull from this gastric deconstruction. <laughs>
1: That was your takeaway from this whole episode.
0: <laughs> I, I, that's always the thing that pops out of my mind when we when we talk about this episode because it blew my mind with the just understanding the concept of that and like Grace talking about. I, I don't know for what for whatever reason that was something that was so foreign to me that that really stands out.
1: You were really into the cooking aspect of Grace's story.
0: yeah i won't lie it was it was there was some stuff at the end there that that we didn't quite keep that we were talking about different kinds of snacks i was trying to steal a recipe from her at at the very at the very end but anyways (laughs) tell me first
1: (laughs) one of the things that i took away besides that grace is an amazing chef (laughs) is that the importance of awareness and understanding with the difficult things that come up in our lives, the challenges that we're facing, but also that you don't have to have all the answers, that it's okay to sit in the discomfort and to just sort of tune in to what's going on with you and try to understand what's going on without always trying to seek a quick fix.
0: Yeah, that ties into to the aspect that I wanted to talk about a little bit too, but just the fact that you're saying that, like that quick fix aspect. And I know in our last episode, B kind of mentioned that as well is, Mm-hmm. it's a, it's a process. It's, a, it's a journey. Like what do we like to use around here? It's, it takes time to get that. And sometimes it's taking a few steps back yeah, and then coming back at it, right. Or looking at it from a different angle. One of the things that really stood out to me besides the whole gastric deconstruction, which is still mind blowing to me, but like, was the fact that a lot of the issues or a lot of the sources of issues that Grace discussed having to deal with now all stem, well, not all stem, but a lot of it stems from the childhood aspect, right? And Mm -hmm. a lot of, some of that was even things that you didn't quite process or you dismiss at a certain age and then finding out like the impact that it has on you. And Mm -hmm. that kind of really led to a point of reflection of like looking back, especially as immigrants, you look back or like children of immigrants, you look back and you, Really have to take into account just how difficult or how strong parents had to be to leave another country, come here, and yeah. reestablish themselves, yeah. while also trying to build community and experience all the all the same things that we want to experience now, as well as having to deal with all the complications of oh, here I am starting from scratch in this brand new place, right? And especially if you look back to. I don't know. We can keep getting more meta, but like if you look back too at the era that it was in, it wasn't as open and as inviting as the time that we're living in, and there's still a whole bunch of things that that you face here as a minority or a person of color. Like there's there's just so much that our parents have gone through to put us into positions, and looking back at your childhood in a way whether it was positive or negative i think that you have to still look back at that and pull some of the things way and have just have a different understanding of 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 why you are the way that you are mm-hmm. and appreciate that and just the fact that she mentioned at the end having those conversations with her mother now yes. and i think that i think that's an important thing for all yes. of us to take note of and just be appreciative of if you have the chance to go back and have those conversations.
1: Yes, because generational trauma is real. Things that have happened in the past in our families affect us now. Things in our childhood can affect the next generation that we're raising. And so I thought it was really interesting how mindful she's being about mm-hmm. gaining awareness of how her tr- childhood trauma might be impacting her parenting and doing what she can to avoid some of the, some of the, negativity that she, that, that stemmed from her childhood. And I also really thought it was beautiful, no pun intended, but how much grace she she extended towards her mother and to being able to look at her childhood through an adult lens and see it both for the horrors that she experienced, but also the resilience and the perspective that she's gained from it.
0: 100%. And once again, like we have to thank grace for sharing her story And just being so open and honest and as well as, you know, teaching us little things about, you know, like gastric deconstruction.
1: Yeah, I think that about wraps it up. I'm going to go put on a couple more pairs of socks and wait out this polar vortex.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough, fair enough. All right, goodbye, everyone. And if you know anyone that would benefit from this episode, once again, please share it. Please spread the word about Scars and Lemonade. We're trying to do some good things here. And we have a lot of interesting stories that people have shared with us and will continue to share with us. So let's reach out and start to build that community and help heal.
1: And for a second, because my mind is in winter mode, I thought you said scarves and lemonade. And I was like, (laughs) yes, if anybody knows people have extra scarves, send them our way. Scars and Lemonade is created and produced within Treaty One Territory on the traditional lands of the Anishinaabeg, Cree, Oji-Cree, Dakota, and Dene Peoples and on the national homeland of the Red River Métis. Music for Scars and Lemonade is written, produced, and created by Evan Dysart.